Hi, and welcome to PIMPT, OBGYN, a podcast aimed at helping you excel in your clinical clerkship. I'm Dr. Jennifer Dory, a fourth-year resident at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia and founder of PIMPT Med, a collection of resources aimed to help advance your clinical medical education. And welcome to Pimps. Today we're going to be talking about sexually transmitted infections or STIs. You'll also hear these formally referred to as STDs or sexually transmitted diseases. However, the new terminology is STI, so stick with infections. Um, the main categories these fall into are those that are curable and those that are not, and those that are sort of treatable and maintainable. And we'll kind of talk about which category different ones fall into. The first group we're going to talk about is based on how we diagnose them. So these are ones that we can swab or use a urine sample to diagnose in the office at the time of the visit. So most of these times we're going to be doing these as part of routine screening. A lot of these um, sexually transmitted infections have no clear prodrome symptoms. Um, Often women and men are asymptomatic. uh, And so we screen for them routinely in young sexually active uh, women, as well as now the fastest growing rate of STIs is actually amongst those 65 and older. So we are re-emphasizing re, um, our effort to screen that population as well, um, likely due to, you know, nursing homes and all those wonder drugs like Viagra out there. Um, so really screening for anybody, we should be verbally screening women and men for exposures and then screening them with um, serum and swabs as needed. All right, so let's talk about each individual STI. First one is chlamydia. This is the most common STI that we see. It is problematic because it's asymptomatic. So most women and men will have no symptoms from this, and they can have it for years and years unless they get screened. The reason to screen and treat it is because it can have a lot of long-term sequelae, particularly for women. So this can cause infertility, pelvic inflammatory disease, and even Fitzhugh Curtis, which is something you will both hear about and see during your inpatient, particularly on your GYN rotation um, because it's something we often see during laparoscopy. So for chlamydia, we can send it off and off a pap smear nowadays, which is nice. We can also do it from a swab um, near the cervix. We can also do it from a blind swab. So a patient can swab themselves for convenience and privacy if they prefer. We can also send this off of urine. The thing to note with urine is that the sensitivity and specificity to both decrease a tiny bit with urine. So if there is a high suspicion or you're worried, um, go with a swab over the urine just because it has a slightly higher sensitivity if you actually do a swab from the vagina. The treatment for this is azithromycin, one gram PO one time. The important thing for almost all of these STIs then is after we treat it, they need to abstain from sex and or use barrier protection for at least seven days after both they and their partner have been treated to prevent the the infection from just going back and forth between them and their partner. This includes all partners being treated and everyone abstaining for at least seven days. This is important to emphasize or because passing it back and forth while people are being treated is a great way to also breed some resistance in there. All right, so that was chlamydia. Uh, you'll often hear us say GCCT as a test, and that is gonorrhea and chlamydia. So gonorrhea is next. Again, gonorrhea is often asymptomatic. Some people will get mucopurulent discharge, but it's often also asymptomatic. So again, we screen routinely for this. This can also cause infertility and PID in the long term. And it can also cause Fitzhugh Curtis. Um, So all bad things, this is definitely one to treat um, right away. So we treat this with ceftriaxone and azithromycin. 
there is growing gonorrheal resistance out there now. Um, and so the ceftriaxone is combined with azithromycin. People often think about this as co-treatment for chlamydia, but really the azithromycin is there to help prevent resistance. It um, attacks two different pathways within the gonorrhea and helps kill it off without allowing it to breed any resistance within itself. Um, so if it helps you to remember to think about treating for both, but really what you're treating is just the gonorrhea and you need both medications to do so. All right, so the next one is trichomonas. Trichomonas is um, one that we, it's really coming up in terms of popularity, if you will, or in terms of um, incidence and frequency now. It is a frothy, watery discharge. It often, besides the discharge is relatively asymptomatic, people don't often have very much discomfort or irritation with it. Although some people will say they also start to notice a little bit of spotting after sex. And this is from cervical friability, which you'll see as um, your shelf keywords are gonna be a strawberry cervix. So the strawberry cervix is just a friable, angry looking cervix when you put the speculum in. Um, usually we several different ways we can diagnose this. We can diagnose it in the clinic on a wet mount, the same way you're going to look for, um, you're going to look for yeast and you're going to look for BV. You can look for a trick. So on the wet mount, you can actually see these trichomonads moving, um, and moving across the wet mount. This is, um, the primary treatment for this is flagell two grams PO one time. And again, just like for chlamydia and gonorrhea, they need to have their partner treated and they need to abstain for seven days after both are treated. Um, the, uh, the second line treatment for this, you may hear people getting co-treated is the same treatment for BV. So they can do flagell twice a day for seven days. Um, the two grams one time is a higher cure rate. So that's the preferred treatment. Um, and so that's probably what you'll see being given more often. The last one to know that we treat, that we look for on swabs, direct swabs, is HPV. This one you'll see a screen for via the pap smear. So the pap smear, either with a reflex HPV or with a co-test, um, screens for HPV. And this is also a sexually transmitted infection. And it's important to remember that it's a sexually transmitted infection because it's one that we can also prevent. Um, it's anytime somebody comes in for STI screenings, indicates they're sexually active. It should be a buzzword to all of us that we are asking them about the HPV vaccine and making sure that they've gotten access to that all three um, treatments of the HPV vaccine. Besides just causing cervical cancer and dysplasia, it can cause genital warts. So different strains cause different types. Um, but both of which are preventable or a percentage of which are preventable, depending on which strains um, are popular in your area. And then you can um, do topical treatments as needed, uh, particularly for the warts. All right, let's talk about those we have to send out with serum. So there's three particular ones that we'll send serum screening for. So typically if somebody comes in and asks me for STI screening, I talk to them about the different types of STIs and which, which types of screening they want. A lot of people will just do the direct treatment, the direct screening there in the office, um, but at least once every year or every time they have a high risk potential exposure, they should also get their serum screen done. So the first one we, we screen for with the serum is syphilis. This is typically done um, with an RPR. Uh, within a, it reflexes to the confirmatory uh, antibody. Syphilis presents typically with a painless chancre, so painless ulceration um, for women typically on the vulva or the labia, and then it's followed by latent syphilis, which can last months to years, and eventually with secondary um, syphilis, which presents with the palmar plantar rash. So uh, one of the buzzwords for somebody who has a rash on the palms of their hands, especially if they're um, 
not a child and not at risk for things like Coxsackie is uh, to think about syphilis and make sure you're screening and looking for that as well. If you're unsure of the stage, we treat it like it's latent because we can essentially we can't prove that it's that it's been um, that we're there in the acute phase. If we see a chancre, we know they're in the acute phase, um, but unless we see that, we treat them like they're latent. And uh, for that, they get penicillin, the IM injections, three of them. Um, for each of the f- subsequent stages, there are different treatments. Uh, and so be sure to look those up. But the most common one you're going to see both in clinic and you're going to see on your um, different varieties of boards are going to be um, l- people you have to presume are latent penicillin IM three rounds. Um, HIV is the next one we screen with serum. This one can also be done directly in the clinic with a with a cheek swab, but most clinics at this point, unless you're in a very high-risk population who don't have great follow-up, which to be fair is a fair number of resident clinics, are gonna use the serum screen. It's a little bit more sensitive. Um, Personally, in our clinic, we do the serum screen initially, and then for something, if like if somebody's pregnant, we repeat their HIV screening in their third trimester, and that one is a, is a cheek swab. Um, but a higher sensitivity is going to be the serum, and we do universal screening for this. If they're high risk, say they're high risk... Um, needle exposures, things like that. You can always give them PrEP. Um, This goes for healthcare workers when they're exposed with a needle stick and things, you'll get offered PrEP. Um, And then if it comes back positive, uh, they get referral to infectious disease and counseling. The third one we do commonly uh, via serum is hepatitis B. This is incredibly treatable, though not curable at this point. Uh, We do routine serum screening just because it can be transmitted sexually. uh, And we have good antivirals that we use for hepatitis B if it does come back positive, if they have a viral load. A fair number of people will have latent hep B. There's not going to, with a low viral load, there won't be a whole lot of things we need to do for that except just monitor it um, and get them over to hepatology to be screened for um, liver complications. The last one for which, we, uh, for the last STI for which we have no real routine screening is HSV. This is typically something that we diagnose only if somebody has an outbreak. Um, it, because the outbreaks are just so, they're hard to miss. Um, for a lot of women, a primary HSV outbreak is going to be so painful that they have difficulty urinating. A lot of women will call and say, I can't pee unless I'm sitting in a bathtub because they need to so immediately dilute their urine before it hits an ulceration um, that they have to physically be sitting in water to be able to avoid, or they'll show up in the emergency room with urinary retention and incredible labial swelling and edema. Um this is something, like I said, we diagnosed based on an, a, an acute swab of the lesion. There is a, uh, an ability to do serum screening for HSV-1 and HSV-2. Unfortunately, now there's a lot of um, cross-colonization between HSV-1 and 2 in terms of location. You know, it used to be that 1 was your oral herpes, 2 was your genital herpes. Uh, but in recent years, with better diagnostics, we've been able to tell there's a lot of HSV-1 that can be genital, um, 2 that can be oral and whatnot. So the serum screens are really difficult to interpret in terms of risk. Um, and treatment for that matter. Oral herpes doesn't require a whole lot of treatment unless people have bad outbreaks and want to take prophylaxis, whereas genital uh, has more implications for sexual partners and long-term need for prophylaxis, and particularly for us, for our patients when they're pregnant. So if somebody comes in with an outbreak or believes they've been exposed, we can do a swab 
they need to be having, they need to, we have to break the capsule on a um, lesion and actually get a swab of the bed, uh, send it to the lab. They can get um, prophylaxis when women feel the outbreaks coming on ahead of time. Typically we use valcyclovir or acyclovir most commonly for those. All right, those are the most common STIs that you're gonna see and hear about. Um, Hopefully most of the buzzwords that you're gonna see both in clinic and on your shelf exam. Good luck guys and stay tuned to PIMP for more episodes. Thanks for listening to PIMP. Hope you found today's podcast helpful. Don't forget to subscribe below and rate the podcast. Check us out at pimpmed.com for more helpful resources or to request new podcasts, suggest new study materials, or nominate an amazing clinical educator for our Pimped ACE program.